Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's come back together. We're going to make a start. We're going to be looking in Philippians today, one of my favorite letters. So why don't you get your Bibles ready and we'll head over there in a few moments. But before I do that, I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever been stressed? (laughs) Have you ever been stressed? Have you ever had stress or anxiety in your life? In fact, if you've never had stress or anxiety in your life, why don't you just put a hand up now? Because we'd we'd love to know the secret. So, um, you see, I think for most of us, we would rather have peace in our lives than stress and anxiety. But it seems so hard to attain, doesn't it? And yet the fact is, the Bible talks a lot about peace. There's a lot in the Bible about peace. And so that's what I want to look at today. How do we live a peaceful life? How do we begin to live with peace at the center of our lives? Now, I have to confess that lately I've had more anxiety and stress than normal. Um, And uh, I don't want to belittle the stress that you are going through. But I think it is fair to say the stress I'm having to cope with at the moment is at the upper end of the the limits of what anybody should be expected to endure. You see, at the moment, I am living with what only can be described as a tyrant. Sorry to be so honest, you know, but they are demanding, they are uncompassionate, they won't communicate, they are thoughtless, they're egotistical, and as soon as I walk through the door at night, they are waiting for me and their demands start. Now, for transparency's sake... I wouldn't normally do this. I don't particularly like naming names, but I thought it'd be good for you to know who the culprit is. So here you go. (laughs) Now, you know, please don't be fooled by those cutesy little looks there. Jeff the cat. I did say Jeff, not Jess. Jeff the cat is horrid. Okay, that's all I can say. We have this... um, ongoing love-hate relationship. He truly loves to hate me. You know how some cats have this little soft, kind of therapeutic meow? Well, Jeff's meow is like an outright demand. It's like, meow! And it's there as soon as I get home at night. And what that meow means is, how dare you be late home? (laughs) Don't even think about taking your coat off or your shoes or putting your bag down until you've done the most important thing in the world, which is feed me. That's effectively what Jeff is. If I don't yield to his, his demands, then the volume gets turned up, the ferocity you know, gets turned up, and it just gets to the point where I have to yield and give in. It's just so stressful. I've actually taken to now sneaking through the side gate and going in through the back door because I know that he's waiting for me at the front door. How ridiculous is that? A grown man avoiding confrontation with his cat. Or should I say his wife's cat? Um, (laughs) It is just downright stressful. Now, I do have to confess that um, I'm not good at dealing with stress and anxiety. And you might have guessed that I do have a tendency to blow things out of proportion slightly. But here's the serious thing. The statistics seem to suggest that I'm not on my own when it comes to stress. Even at this time of year when the weather is beautiful outside, and it's holiday season, and everybody's a bit more relaxed and chilled. Stress and anxiety are rampant in our society today. If we look at the stats, 
the world we live in is the most stressed that it's ever been throughout all of history. In a recent survey conducted by Mental Health UK, it reports 74% of Brits have so much stress, or they've had so much stress at some point in this last year that they felt overwhelmed or unable to cope. Statistics say that women are more stressed than men, and I'll leave that one there. 35 to 44-year-olds are the most stressed, stressed age group in the nation, 28% stating that they are overly stressed on a daily basis. 16 to 24-year-olds feel high levels of stress about social media, personal appearance and relationships. And Cardiff is the most stressed city in our nation, with 55% of residents claiming extreme stress on a daily basis. Nottingham comes in 13th, with only 39% of those surveyed rep reported feeling too much stress in their daily lives. And what are the things we're stressed about? We're stressed about work. You might be sitting here thinking, am I going to have a job next month? We're stressed about money. You might be wondering, how are you going to pay the bills at the end of this month? And we're stressed about health. What happens if the worst happens and we're stressed about relationships, family, friends, keeping up with the Joneses. All of those things are causing us stress. And here's a shocking statistic. In America, stress-related suicides now claim more lives than road traffic accidents. And the indications are that it's only going to get worse. Stress and anxiety are on the up. Wow. What great news. I bet you're glad you came this morning, aren't you? So if the world that we live in is stressed beyond its limits, and yet the Bible seems to talk a lot about peace, I thought it would be good to spend a bit of time just looking at how do we find this thing called peace? How do we fill our lives with peace instead of anxiety and stress? We're going to be looking at Philippians 4. But before we do that, before I read that passage, I just want to give a little background. So the church is in Philippi. The clue is in the name. It's, it's called the first, uh, often called the first church in Europe because it was right out there on the edge of modern-day Europe. And it was planted by Paul and Silas. And I'll talk a little bit more about Paul in a few moments. But the, the Philippian, the Philippi was effectively a Roman colony. And it was made up of mainly retired soldiers. And consequently, when Paul arrived, he found it really, uh, the city was incredibly patriotic and it was difficult to establish a church there. And after Paul left, the new believers also continued to meet resistance and they lived under persecution. But it seems despite this, they have remained strong and faithful. And it's also clear that Paul has a bit of a, a soft spot for the Philippians. In other letters, he holds them up as a, as a kind of an example of what a church should be. Generous, kind, and supportive. But it's also clear that there's a few cracks beginning to emerge. Things like selfish ambition, conceit, own interest, are beginning to kind of creep in and spoil the atmosphere of their community. And so Paul writes this, uh, it's an incredible letter, really upbeat. He uses an Old Testament poem as a central theme. And he encourages them to keep putting their faith in Jesus, keep putting their trust 
in Jesus, their one and true Savior. And we pick it up in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a famous passage. I'm sure many of us have heard of it or read it many times. And it would be quite easy to dismiss it as an unattainable goal that was aimed at this tiny church right out there on the edge of Europe. But before we do that, let's just dig a little bit deeper. First of all, the, the people that Paul writes to, the Philippians, they knew about stress and anxiety. Paul isn't writing to them with some wishy-washy feelings here. He knows what they're going through. They are being persecuted for their faith, and they are living under the real threat of death. And secondly, Paul himself, he's not actually writing this letter from a, a sun lounger on a beach somewhere. At the time of writing it, Paul is actually in prison. He's not known whether he's going to be set free or face execution. But even for Paul, that's a bit of a, a walk in the park when we look at some of the things that Paul has been through. Because it says in 2 Corinthians, it explains some of the other things he's been through. I get this, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. He was near death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones and three times I was shipwrecked. He then talks about he's been in danger more times than I've had hot dinners. This guy really knew about stress and anxiety. And I think it's fair to say the Philippian church also knew about stress and anxiety. So let's not overlook what Paul has to say, but rather let us look for some little keys that maybe, just maybe, can unlock some peace in our own lives. So let me read it again. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's an interesting word in that opening verse that I think is quite easy to miss. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. In every situation. In other translations, it says, pray about everything. So it seems pretty clear to me that Paul is encouraging us to bring everything to God. To bring it all. To bring the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants every situation. And I don't know if you're like me, but that is sometimes pretty hard to do, isn't it? You know, I'm good at, I'm good at praying for world peace and our politicians who need it at the moment. And, uh, you know, I'm good for praying for my, my kids, and I'm good for praying for parking space when I'm trying to park in Nottingham. But everything, everything, that, that is just sometimes hard, every situation. Have you ever said to God, God, you can have it all, and then realize that you're just taking it straight back? Are there things that you are frightened to give over to God? Are there things that you are maybe sitting here right now knowing that you are hiding from God? Because the reality is that is often when anxiety and stress get a foothold. If we're not honest with God and bring 
everything, every situation. We will always live with pockets in our life of anxiety and stress. If we can't give our finances to God, you will always have stress about your finances, no matter if you have a little or a lot. But I think what Paul is getting, getting at here is that we really need to be honest with God. You see, God wants everything, and he wants us to be honest with him. We have a couple here at Trent, Jackie and Ronnie Howard, who are legends. And they have been running, uh, doing a great job running an AA program. And they've done it for many, many years at Trent. And I remember having a conversation with them. And they said that you have to wait for a person to get to a place of being really, really honest before they can even begin to move forward. And aren't we a bit like that? A few weeks ago, I was watching this um, documentary on telly about Lance Armstrong. Uh, not the guy that landed on the moon, but um, the seven times Tour de France winner, an American national hero, as well as a Livestrong ambassador for cancer. And here was a guy who was revered. He was, he was, he was held up as a, an example of where sort of hard work and grit can really get you. But everything he'd built, everything, the Tour de France wins, his, his reputation, his wealth, it all came tumbling down when he was finally forced to be honest about how he cheated by using performance-enhancing drugs. And I remember in this documentary him saying something like, it got to the point where it was easier to believe the lies than accept the fear of the truth. It was easier to believe the lies than accept the fear of the truth. Now, I'm not suggesting that we've got um, big skeletons in our closet like Lance Armstrong. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of believing the lies of the enemy rather than embracing the truth of what God wants for us. So often fear and shame and control can easily become blockages that can truly hinder us and can truly hinder what God has in store for us. It's hard not to be anxious when you are holding on to those things. So a question today, are, are there things that you're sitting here knowing that you are holding on to? Are there maybe blockages and barriers deep down that you know you've put in place? Because the good news is, as we listen to Paul in this letter, he shows us a little pathway. If we can bring it all, if we can bring everything, if we can be honest about where we're at, then I really do believe that peace is just around the corner. The passage uh, goes on to say, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when I first read that, I thought, wait a minute, with thanksgiving, that feels like it's, it feels like it's in the wrong place. Shouldn't it be, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and then thank him when he answers them. Otherwise, it's a bit like thanking a friend for an amazing birthday present before you've even had your birthday. But the truth is that God deserves all of our gratitude and our thankfulness, not for what he might do, but because he's already done everything for us. When Jesus hung on that cross, he opened up a way for us to have this unbroken relationship with God where we can embrace peace and we can know that God is with us through it all. And if we skip back just one chapter 
in Philippians. This is how Paul puts it. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Here's a man, I think it's fair to say, he's talking from a place of thankfulness and gratitude. And here's a strange little fact about thankfulness and gratitude. They are both intrinsically linked to happiness and peace. A health hazard study done in the US, it took two groups of people. The first group had to write down at the end of each day all the things that they were thankful for. And the second group had to write down all the things that they were dissatisfied with throughout that day. Now, it may come as no surprise, but group one not only displayed greater satisfaction in their life, but their bodies were actually healthier and they had more purpose and hope for their futures. That's interesting, isn't it? One of the candidates said that he used to think that life was a roller coaster. And we've all got that song in our head now, haven't we? (laughs) But um, everyone has to deal with the ups and downs of life, which is true. But he then went on and said something quite interesting. He said he now sees life as train tracks, pain and suffering running right alongside joy and happiness. But you get to choose which track you want to lean into. The reality is we will all face pain and suffering. That is just a fact. But we do get a choice which track that we want to lean onto. And I I like that. But I think what Paul is getting to in this whole letter is that thankfulness and gratitude, they flow from a place of just really, really trusting God, of us putting our trust in God. You see it time and time again as you read through Philippians that Paul is encouraging them to put their trust in God. Trust God with their struggles. Trust God hears their prayers and their petitions. Trust God's outcome is better than any worldly outcome could ever be. And uh, I was chatting to Susie the other day and she mentioned one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 121. And it puts it like this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. A psalm of struggle, a psalm of thankfulness, and a psalm of trust. And unfortunately, trust is becoming a bit of an old-fashioned word in our society today, isn't it? Nobody wants to trust one another. But I do think it is another little key that we can use, that can unlock peace. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peace and rest, they go hand in hand. Wouldn't you rather have rest than stress? Many years ago, I trained um, as a violin maker. And um, at the end, when I left college, um, it was time to do the budget. All the grants had finished in the good old days when you used to get grants. Um, and we sat down to do our, our budget, Helen and I. And um, we got to a bit about giving. Now, if we, if we gave, we just couldn't make the budget work. We couldn't make ends meet. So we prayed about it, and we decided we'd trust God and just do it anyway. And I'm, I'm, I don't say that to try and manipulate anybody, that that's what you should do. It's just what we, we felt. Now, I'm not going to pretend that it was, it was easy. It wasn't. It was hard. We had three small boys, and we seriously had to watch what we spent. And I remember one Christmas, 
going to the cash machine to get some food out, Christmas shopping time, and um, to get some, some food for, for the Christmas shop. And the, it just wouldn't let me have any money. We had no money in our account. And the panic that I felt, I was seized by this sense of panic. And so we got, I got home and we'd said we'd trust God, so we had to just trust him. And amazingly that week, somebody phoned and said, I played one of your violins a while ago. You don't happen still to have it for sale, do you? Because I'd really like to buy it. Now, that never happens. People have a violin and they have it for like weeks to try it on approval before they pay you. And I said, when do you want this thing? Oh, can I pick it up now? He wanted it straight away. And I remember coming home, and then actually, Helen doesn't remember this, but I remember coming home and physically dancing in our front room, which is not a pretty sight. But it was just amazing. God won through. And for a number of years, our finances didn't add up on paper, but God made them work in our daily lives. It was incredible. We just had to trust that God would fill in the blanks. Corrie ten Boom, who is one of my heroes, was a Second World War Ravensbrück concentration camp survivor. Her book, The Hiding Place, was one of the first books I ever read as a Christian. And what an amazing story. It's about her and her sister, Betsy, and just how they had to hold on to their faith through some horrific events that they had to endure. But there's one phrase in the book that really stayed with me. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If we can honestly bring everything to God, if we can trust God has it, I really do believe that peace is just around the corner. So let's, let's look at what Paul goes on to say. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the best bit. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we can get to a place of really choosing to be completely honest with God, I think if we can get to a place of really choosing to trust God completely, then the next step of choosing to live with peace rather than stress, in some ways, is the easiest step of all. But here's a beautiful reality. It's our choice. It's our choice. And that choice is made so much easier if we have and live fully surrendered lives to Jesus. That's why Paul, in the very first chapter of Philippians, can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not suggesting that we have to die to demonstrate our love for Jesus, although many have done that around the world. But I am just trying to highlight that Paul had reached the place of really, truly trusting God and choosing peace in every situation. And that's why a prison cell had no hold on him. That's why the threat of punishment and death had no hold on him. His choice was to embrace God's peace, not the worldly anxiety. But I can hear you ask as, I'm, as, I, as I say this, how do we know that Paul had to choose to live in peace? Surely that was Paul. He, he must have had some kind of divine 
intervention, some heavenly intervention. I mean, that, after all, that's Paul, isn't it? What about us? How do we know that Paul had to choose? Well, thankfully, it tells us in chapter 3. <laughs> it says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You see, Paul wasn't living on a higher plane that is unachievable for you and me. But he was reaching for the perfection of Jesus. Later on in that chapter, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And notice in that, he doesn't say calling me. He says calling us. This is something that is available to you and me. But I do have to concede it's not easy. The reality for some of us is that we walk around with almost like the, the Jaws soundtrack playing in the back of our minds. You know, there's, there's trouble around every corner. We expect to find trouble. And I have to confess, sometimes I can be a little bit like that. Choosing peace just doesn't come easily. But the truth is, it doesn't come easily to anyone, even Paul. And I find that strangely encouraging. But what is clear as you read through Philippians here is that Paul is really choosing the right things to live his life by. And I remember being in a room many years ago, um, listening to John Wimber. John Wimber set up, um, started the Vineyard Movement back in the 70s with his wife, Carol. And he was being interviewed towards the end of his life. And he was asked the question, did he do any special preparation before he got up to speak in front of a large crowd? And did he feel anxious or nervous about doing it? And he replied, no, same preparation, large or small. I pray, ask the Lord what he wants to do. I drink a Diet Coke, and then I go out and do it. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, that is it's incredible, isn't it? How could anybody get to that, that, that place of being able, being able to do that? And then it dawned on me that John Wimber had spent his life preparing. He dug this huge well that he could now draw from. He wasn't being flippant in that comment. He was just saying, I'm trusting God will use the things that I have poured into my well over years. And he went on to say, why would I be anxious or stressed when I know that God is with me? Now, I've always found those comments um, really inspiring, and I've always found those comments really challenging. But if you look at the, the letter to the Philippians, this is effectively what you see Paul saying to these guys time and time again. Choose the right things to fill your well with. Choose to fill your well with thankfulness and gratitude, with honesty, with trust, with generosity. This is all in Philippians, loving and preferring one another. Choose to fill your well with the knowledge of all that Jesus has done for you, with the future hope of what Jesus has opened up to you. Choose to fill your well with what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and what is admirable. And all the way through this letter, you see Paul just encouraging those guys just to fill their wells 
with the right things. And my question today would be, what are you choosing to fill your well with? What are you putting in your well? Are there things you know shouldn't be in your well? Is it time that you had your well dredged? I don't even know whether you can dredge a well, but it sounded good when I was writing it, but cleaned out. (laughs) The reality is, if we choose the right things to fill our well with, then the peace that we receive is a different kind of peace. It's the peace that it talks about in verse 7. A peace that passes all understanding. It's a bit like God says, I'll take your peace and I'll raise it. A bit like playing poker. Not for money, I've got to add. But uh, a bit like playing poker. God says, I see your peace and I raise it to a new kind of peace. Now I'm sure you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, yeah, these are easy words to say. But they're way harder to live out. And you'd be dead right. You'd be dead right about that. But what we do know as followers of Jesus is that this book, this book isn't fake. It isn't fake. If this book says that peace is available, then peace must be available. This isn't like a fairy tale or a nice story. This is truth. We have to believe that. So my encouragement today, if you're sitting here thinking that, is why don't you just give it a go? Why don't you give it a go? Why don't you try for this next week and ask the Lord to help you put thankfulness and gratitude in your well rather than dissatisfaction and hurt? Why don't you try and ask the Lord to to help you put honesty and trust rather than shame and doubt in your well this week? Because Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you and my peace I give you. I do not give you as a world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I really do believe if Jesus says that peace is freely available, then it's freely available. Are we ready to choose and embrace it? Are we ready to be honest and trust God to say, your will, Lord, not mine? I really do believe that peace is just around the corner. The question is, Are we really ready to walk around the corner and embrace all that God has for us? Why don't we stand together if you're able?